Good morning and welcome to everyone who's come. It's so good that you're here. It's good to see this place uh, full of people. And uh, we've come here to worship our God, the only God, the true God. Why don't we start with a hymn, hymn number 586, I know not why God's wondrous grace to me he hath made known. Bit of marveling. Let's sing together. Good morning. Welcome to each one of you. Good to see you all here this morning. Welcome also to those who will be watching our service later this week. We're glad that you have joined us as well. Last Sunday, the weather conditions were quite different than we have this morning, so we're thankful for a beautiful Sunday morning today. 
That's right. For opening scripture this morning, I'd like to read uh, from Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 to 11. This is a familiar passage to many of us. So Philippians 2, 1 to 11. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you on this Sunday morning, and Lord, we thank you for this day. Thank you, God, for a warm building in which to gather for worship. And thank you for the freedom we have to come and worship. We know, Lord, that that is not the case in many parts of the world. Father, we thank you for who you are and for your love for us. We thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he was willing to humble himself. And just as we read, made himself nothing and came to earth in human form. He was willing to suffer and to die on the cross in our place for our sins. Lord, we are so undeserving of such love. God, as we have our, our time of worship now, we, we thank you again for being here. We ask that you would bless this time together and that all that is said and done would be for your honor and for your glory. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Ask Pastor Victor in Maryland to lead us in some more singing. Let's take our hymn books and turn to number 585. 585.
And then back to 582. I'm pressing on the upward way. Since Pastor Dean is talking about uh, favoritism this morning, uh, I think there is some pressing on the upward way we can all do today. to see you here. Uh, we have a special project we're anticipating with the missions committee, and at this time I'd just like to inform you about some of the things that we, or one of the things that we're planning to do. In October of 219, the missions committee received a request from Asani Muhanuzi for a refugee sponsorship for his brother Safari's family, who had escaped from the rebels in Congo and managed to get to South Africa. We as a committee looked into this option, but at that time soon realized that this would be impossible without a refugee status certificate from Safari. Safari worked very hard in obtaining the certificate, and in October of 2021, he received his certificate from the Republic of South Africa. 
We as a missions committee would like to go forward with this project upon approval of the membership. Here is some information about Safari. Safari was born in October of 1979 and is married to his wife, Jolene. They have one three-year-old son and are expecting a second child in May. Safari is well-educated and has a job as a supervisor and operates a computerized laser cutter at a sailboat manufacturing company in South Africa. Safari is also a professional tailor and does a lot of embroidering on his spare time at home. He is also very capable of speaking English and has a valid driver's license. Elf Dick and I have spoken with Safari, and he assured us that he would take on any job in Canada. The reason Safari would like to come to Canada is that so his family can have a better life and more opportunities. As a migrated Congolian in South Africa, he is despised by the majority of black South Africans, and their life is in constant danger. And Safari has uh, told me quite a few stories of what that has happened there, so it it is true. Asani and Vat still have their house in town, and plan to return to Winkler in the future. Julianne would be a great help for Yvette with household chores and medical needs. If Winkler Bertolerman and I Church becomes a sponsor of this refugee family, we are responsible for the basic needs for one year. Asani and Safari assured us that they would not require a lot of help and Safari would be working as soon as possible. At this time, there is a shortage of labor here, and if the sponsorship is approved by our congregation, we as a missions committee would be looking for a job guarantee immediately. Refugee immigration can take anywhere from three months up to three years. We as a mission committee are confident that even if the migration is approved rapidly, we would not have to change our budget for 2022. If any additional funds would be required, we would be looking after the fundraising. We as a mission committee are very confident that this would, beca- that this would become a great asset for our church and our community and look forward to the Mohanuzi's family attending and participating in our congregation. I will present, will be presenting this at our membership meeting again. Please feel free to contact me if you have any other questions. I plan to make a motion on the sponsorship and have a membership vote in our church in about three to four weeks from now. So if there's any questions, please feel free to contact me. Thank you. Thanks, Jake. So I'll just just highlight a few uh, of the announcements that are in the bulletin. Our missionaries of the week are Don and Char Epps, so let's continue to remember them and their family. Our annual meeting is tomorrow evening, tomorrow evening at 7 o'clock, so let's uh, uh, prepare for that. Um, If you haven't picked up your annual report book yet, um, there are still some available. There's a table in the back, also a table in the side foyer, so you can pick your copy up there. There's also... Uh, copies of our uh, updated uh, uh, church directory there as well, so you can pick that up at the same time. 
Under persons with health needs, uh, Dorothy Giesbrecht is in Boundary Trails, Agatha Wall is in Swan Lake, and Betty Reimer is in the Emerson Personal Care Home. Uh, Susan Clausen went to visit Betty on Friday, and Betty sends greetings to our church. We have a couple of expressions of sympathy that I'd like to read. Jim Brown passed away on Friday, February the 18th, and he was the husband to Anne. And Olga Friesen passed away on Tuesday, February 22nd, and she was the wife to Abe C. Friesen and sister-in-law to Nick and Tina Friesen. So let's continue to remember these families. I'll ask the ushers to come forward if you're ready. Uh, one announcement that's not in your bulletin I'd like to read. It's a thank you note from George and Margaret Enns. George and Margaret Enns express their deepest thanks and appreciation for the prayers of the church over the last six weeks. They have both had COVID and were both in the hospital, but are home now and recovering. Margaret has recovered quite well, George's recovery is a little slower. So thank you again for your prayers. Let's bow to pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for bringing us safely through another week. Thank you that you are such a loving and caring God. Lord, you know each one of us you know the joys and the sorrows and the challenges that we experience. Thank you for your presence in our lives and for your faithfulness to us. Lord, we ask for your healing for those who are dealing with health issues. We pray this for Dorothy Giesbrecht, for Agatha Wall, and for Betty Reimer. And we pray this also for others who may not be in hospital but are dealing with a health issue of some kind. We thank you that George and Margaret are home from the hospital. We thank you, Lord, that you are fully aware that you care for each one and for your presence with them. We bring before you Anne Brown and her family after the passing of her husband Jim and also Abe C. Friesen and his family after Olga's passing. Lord, grant them your comfort and strength and peace, both now and for the days ahead. We pray, Father, for our missionaries, Don and Shar and their family. Lord, as they look to the time when they can return to the Philippines, we thank you that some border restrictions are beginning to lift. We ask that you would grant them wisdom as they make decisions about when to return. We ask that you would continue to guide them as a family. And we also pray for Thea and ask that you would help her in her studies at Bible school. Lord, we also pray for the Octa Church and that it would remain strong despite not having missionaries there to lead them. Father, also, as we've just heard from... Uh, Jake Clausen and the Missions Committee about a, a potential uh, sponsorship for our church. We ask, Lord, that you would guide us in that way, that you would uh, grant us wisdom as we uh, 
as we consider that and make decisions about that. God, there is much unrest in the world, and we pray for peace. We pray that you would cause the war between Ukraine and Russia to cease, and that that part of the world could live in peace. We pray for and thank you for our own country of Canada. And even though we are a peaceful country, we also have pockets of unrest. And Lord, we pray that we would all have a desire to live in harmony with each other. Father, we pray for our membership meeting tomorrow. We ask that you would guide us as we prepare for the meeting and then also as we take part. Father, as Pastor Dean brings the message this morning, be with him and open our hearts to hear what you have to say to us through him. And now as we give our offering, Lord, we thank you for material blessings. We ask that you bless this offering, that you would help us to give with joy, knowing that everything we have, we have from you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
morning scripture reading is uh, James chapter 2 verses 1 to 13. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here is a good seat for you, But say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen you, who are poor in the eyes of the world, to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised? He promised those who love him. But you have dishonored the poor Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin, and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law yet stumbles at just one point, is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said, you shall not commit adultery, also said, you shall not murder. If you, don't, if you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment." 
One of the first places where favoritism is displayed in the scriptures is found in Genesis chapter 25, verses 27 and 28. It reads as this, The boy grew up, and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of open country, while Jacob was a quiet man, staying among the tents. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau. But Rebekah loved Jacob. The New Illustration Bible Commentary tells us this story about favoritism. People often assume that their private sins hurt no one but themselves. For instance, how could the sin of envy affect anyone else? Isn't coveting strictly a matter between them and the Lord? But the sins of character have a way of touching everyone with whom we have contact, especially those we love the most, our family. That is what happened in three generations of Isaac's family. His wife, Rebecca, was determined to gain Isaac's blessings for her favorite son, Jacob, even if it meant deceiving her husband. Thus, she helped her son, Jacob, grow up to be a deceiver. And he was a deceiver. Years later, Jacob's wife, second wife, Rachel, became frustrated as her sister rival. Leah bore four sons to Jacob. Rachel's anguish developed in such a strong envy that it created tension and anger in her husband, even though he loved Rachel dearly. A bitter harvest of Rebekah And Jacob's deception and Rachel's envy was reaped in the third generation when Joseph's brothers began to envy him, according to Genesis 37.11. They sold him into slavery and then deceived their father about it. Where had they learned to treat their siblings with jealousy and their, uh, and their father with such cruel deception? Clearly, they were following in the elders' footsteps. Sin can pass from generation to generation, not just by what is said, but by what is lived. Attitudes are not so much taught as they are. Are taught. Close quote. This morning we want to continue on our study in the book of James entitled Encouragement for the Race in Life, and we all need encouragement. And before we go into morning's, this morning's message on favoritism, we want to first recap the previous message because of uh, all the subjects in this book tied together. So three weeks ago, we looked at how to respond to the truth of God's word. And this is so vital. How do we respond? Number one, by hearing and accepting the word. We have to hear it and accept it. 
And verse 19 of chapter 1 says this, My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. And so often we fail to do that. And the only way that we can really be doing that is by when we put ourselves up against the straight edge. And the straight edge is the word of God. Try to draw a straight line, and it's impossible, no matter how hard you try. You need a ruler, you need a straight edge, and so we need that straight edge. Secondly, how do we respond to the truth of God, as we said two weeks ago, or three weeks ago, by acting on God's word, verses 22 and 25. Verse 22 says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. So it's so important to hear and to be accepting, but we have to live it out. If we can't live it out, then something is not right. And then thirdly, how to respond to the truth of God's word. Number three, abide by the word. Abide by the word. It's a little bit different than just doing. If anyone considers himself, according to verse 26 of chapter 1, if anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. Boy, it is so important that we keep a type tight rein on our tongues. So wouldn't it be nice if we could just say what we wanted and do and, 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 and say it when we want it? And yet God tells us we are not to do that. This morning we want to look now at part one of a two messages on how to overcome favorite, the evil of favoritism. So three weeks ago, how to respond to the truth of God's word. Now, how to overcome the evil of favoritism. How to come the evil of favoritism, found in chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. Well, first point is simply this. We overcome the evil of favoritism by, number one, by not focusing on the outward appearance, by not focusing on outward appearance, verses 1 through 4. It's hard for us not to focus on outward appearance because our culture embraces it and embraces the concept. Everything that comes off the assembly line is perfect. If it isn't, there's a discount tag on it. And while Cheryl and I purchased our first deep freeze over 35 years ago, which we still have to this day, there was a crack on the inside liner when we picked it up. Therefore, there was a discount for that deep freeze. When one goes to the grocery store to purchase apples, often they are polished. There are polished and unpolished apples that are there. And we look at the polished ones and somehow they look so much better. And so those are the ones that we pick out. And actually the unpolished ones are more healthy for you. So you see, in order to have good apples and make them look good, they polish them with a certain wax. Yes, the wax has got to be waxed, uh, washed off. Otherwise, actually it is harmful to us and we pay a price in the long run. When tested, those unpolished apples were actually healthier. But what do we choose? We choose the polished one because they are appealing to the eye. 
Jesus tells us in verse 1, my brothers as believers in the glorious Lord Jesus, don't show favoritism. Don't show favoritism. The problem that we can have is that we end up treating others made in the image of God the same way we treat the objects that we use every day. We just lower them to objects. If a person does not look like us, smell like us, act like us, dress like us, we can tend to put them to the side and to choose someone who does. That is called showing favoritism. The definition of the word for favoritism in the Greek means simply this, to accept a face, to accept a face. So when you look, you look at the face and nothing else. You look at the outward appearance to make unjust distinctions between people by treating one person better than the other. To show favoritism is to be partial or partiality. In other words, one is making a judgment on the outward appearance. James, the brothers of Jesus, states to the recipients of this letter that they are not to show favoritism. Then he gives an example of how this would play out in verses 2 and 3. If you have your Bibles and you're following, look at verse 2 and 3 with me. Suppose a man comes into the meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit on the floor by my feet. James points out that it is wrong to focus our attention on a person's outward appearance. Look at the life of Christ and you will see that he lived in such a way that it was evident to everyone that he never showed favoritism or partiality to anyone. The religious leaders who were Jesus' enemy and who were continuously interrogating Jesus said this of him in Matthew chapter 22 verse 16. They sent their disciples to him along with the Herodian, the teachers, they said. We know you are a man of integrity and you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by men, but you pay no attention to who they are. And by the way, who was Jesus hardest on? the religious leaders, and when he knew them, he exposed them, but they also knew that Jesus was always fair. The ESV says, for you are not swayed by appearances. In other words, Jesus is never swayed by the appearance of people. He knows the heart, He's able to judge wisely and correctly all the time. He calls us to do the same and not to show favoritism simply on the way that people look. The rest of the New Testament echoes and reflect what Jesus lived and taught and preached. 
Romans chapter 2, verse 11 says, For God does not show favoritism. Ephesians 6, 9 says, And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. Colossians 3, 25 says this, Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for his wrong, and there is no favoritism. Hebrews 4.13 Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. And then Acts chapter 10, verse 34 and 35, then Peter began to speak. I realize now how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. God is no respecter of persons, and he shows no favoritism or partiality. That is the same way we are to treat others. James then asks a penetrating question in verse 4. Verse 4, this is what he says. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? We learn three things from the inquiry in this verse. First, the first, first, the question is affirmative, indicating that some of these believers were showing favoritism. By the way, nothing is new in this world. What they did in the past follows us all today. Second, since believers still possess a sinful nature, we need to keep ourselves in check lest we show favoritism, partiality, or discrimination towards others. And it's easy to do it without thinking because you just look, you make your decisions, and you check nothing else out. Third, if this type of judging springs from evil thoughts, what James says it does, then favoritism is evil. We need to keep away from evil. So, the first thing we learn about overcoming the evil of favoritism is by not focusing on the outward appearance, which is for, so easy for us to do. As soon as we make our decision based on this, we are in trouble. Now we come to the second step on how to overcome the evil of favoritism. Number two, by looking to God's, or to the grace of God, verses five through seven. By looking to the grace of God. In verse five, James says, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? The focus is on God's choosing, and when God chooses, it involves God's grace. Grace means a person is getting something they don't deserve. In that, in this verse, 
What are two things that the poor are receiving that they don't deserve? The first thing is to be rich in faith. And the second is to inherit the kingdom he has promised those who love him, which means salvation. So the poor are receiving faith and salvation. Matter of fact, it's impossible to come to God without faith. It can't be done. We need faith. The Apostle Paul reiterates the thought in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 9. For it is by grace you have been saved. How? Through faith. And this, not from ourselves, it is a gift. Not by works, so that no one can boast. Both saving faith and salvation are gifts of God. Both are gifts, and you can't have one without the other. But first, we need faith before we can receive salvation. We must believe. We must believe. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 tells us, Without faith, it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Then James continues in verse 6 and 7, and he says this, But you have insulted the poor. It is not the rich who are exploiting you. Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are slandering the noble name of him to whom you belong? Close quote. So here is the picture that James is painting for the recipients of this letter that he is writing to. Both rich and a poor both a rich and a poor man walk into church one day, and it is very evident who is rich and the and who the poor man is by the way that they dress. And according to verse 3, the wealthy person is immediately given a seat while the poor person is told to go stand over there or come and sit down by the chair of of a, of a member of the church. According to the context, both the rich and the poor person are unknown to the church, yet the church prefers the wealthy individual. James says that by doing this, you have insulted the poor. Added to this evil act is that the rich have been exploiting and taking believers to court. And those were the ones that were outside the church taking believers to court. They even slandered Jesus' name. So James is asking the question to the church, why are you doing this? Why are you showing favoritism? Now, before we rush to the conclusions by saying that being rich is evil and all people who exploit the poor and that when one helps a rich person, they are only doing it for self-gain, we have to look at the full view of Scripture. First, the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Job, David, Solomon, were all very wealthy individuals, and they did not exploit the poor. Yet they did 
what was right in the eyes of the Lord. It may be true some people will favor rich because they seek a reward from them, but this is not true of everyone, and it should not be true of believers, and many believers serve other people, whether they are rich or poor, and they don't care who they are. They serve without discrimination and without favoritism, and that is what we are called to do to to share and to minister without favoritism. We must be careful to see what this passage of Scripture is not teaching. It is not saying that because one is rich, they are automatically misusing and abusing the poor. The Scripture isn't talking about that. This passage is not saying that because one is poor that they're automatically a righteous person. And surely they must have it all together because they're poorest. That's not what the scripture is saying here. Instead, we are called to serve and to treat all people as equal in the sight of God. In other words, don't judge people by their outward appearance and treat each person fairly. Treat them fairly with the rules or with whatever is given to us so we don't discriminate over one over the other. So in this first part of the message, or so this first message found in James 2, 1 through 13, that we just looked at the first portion of verses, how to overcome the evil, I want to close, or pardon me, how to, come, how to overcome the evil of favoritism. I close with this story. Muratus, a wandering scholar in the Middle Ages, was very learned but very poor. In his wanderings, he fell ill, and he was taken to a place where the destitutes were kept. The people who cared for him did not know that he was a scholar and that he understood Latin. The doctors were discussing his case in Latin, saying that he was poor, he was a poor creature of value to no one and that it was hopeless and unnecessary to expend care and money and attention to such a worthless individual. Meritus looked up at the uh, looked up at them and answered to their own and answered in their own Latin. He said, "Call no man worthless for whom Christ died." Meritus was poor; he was a believer, and yet the ones who were making the decisions on whether he should live or die were the people that were above him. We must not show favoritism simply because of a way that the person looks on the outside. Let's sing for our closing hymn number 387. In Christ there is no east or west. We'll sing verses 1, 3, and 4. Why don't we stand?
Luke, the author of Acts, says this, Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Heavenly Father, we pause before you. Lord, it is hard to live your word out. We cannot do it without your strength and without your grace. We pray that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and feet to carry out what you say. And Lord, deafness in our ears to what we would want to hear. And blindness to the things that we should not be seeing. I pray now, Father, go with us as we go our separate ways. We pray that you will be lifted up in our lives as we reflect Jesus throughout this week. For this we pray. Amen. And you may be seated and you may go.